Well, I'm Clara. I'm uh, one of the Sunday morning teachers. And, you know, um, you know, we're getting ready to do some shopping here, right? Anyway, you ever been to a department store where there's something you've been eyeing for a while and you look at the price tag and it, it is ridiculously inexpensive. And, like, they're just so excited and you go to the cashier and say, okay. And she says, uh, sorry, this is not the right price, ma'am. Obviously, the price tag has been tampered with. And you're like, oh, that's too good to be true. Yeah, the tags were switched. And not by me, but by somebody. Anyway, when we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, um, it's shocking and amazing what Jesus is all about. And Jesus has this way of switching the price tags on everything. Uh, Things that we consider super valuable, he basically says, it's kind of worthless. And things that we think are worthless, he's saying, no, actually, this is really important to God. You know, um, light, for example. Can we lower the stage lights just a little bit? Oh, thank you. I was like, I'm seeing spots when I look at my notes. It's not good. <laughs> okay, so for instance, like with children. Okay, Jesus tells us we should be like children. And, you know, in reality, we all do what we possibly can do to not be like kids, Right? Then Jesus says, the poor are blessed. And we would like to argue with him, actually, the wealthy are the ones that are blessed. And also, you know, Jesus says, often the non-religious are the ones that are closer to me. Those who are religious are far from my heart. They're the ones who were most hostile and critical of Jesus when he walked on earth. Now, some commentators and writers of the Gospels refer to this kingdom of Jesus as the upside-down kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because the way Jesus looks at the world and talks about the world is completely opposite, upside-down, to what we say is important or valuable in the world. So accurately, we could say we're the ones that are living upside-down world, and Jesus comes and he flips us right side up. And he helps us to help our narrative for life to be more like his. But in a lot of areas of life, we have our values upside down, and we've switched the price tags. Now, we've been doing a series from the Gospels, based from the Gospels, and we've called it More Love, More Power. And throughout the series, I've been saying over and over and over that the good news is this amazing news that the death and life, the crucifix, sorry, crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ, is now Lord of the world. And as a Lord of the world, he invites us to change, to be transformed. And for those of us who've come to that place where we're saying, God, I want you to change me. I want to be transformed. He says, okay, now come along. Come with me. And why don't you help me? Why don't you partner with me in helping to change my lost and hurting world? It's a beautiful invitation that Jesus makes for us. Now, obviously, part of the change that we have to make in following Jesus is that we're going to have to probably give up some of our goals and our plans and agendas in order to have a kingdom agenda. The things that we thought were so important, super valuable, he's saying, let go. Let go of those things and let me give you an exchange what really matters. So I've called today's talk, More Love, More Power, Empowered Treasure. So let's pray. 
Lord, uh, boy, I just really sense that you're here. This is really important to you. So we just all agree to put our palms open to you for you to speak to us, to speak to our hearts and our mind. And Lord, for any of us that think we know where this message is going, including myself, we just ask for you to have your way. We want more of you. Father, I ask that you would bring comfort to our guests. If you made a special offer, offering and sense of coming, that they would meet you and sense your presence with them. And bless our loved ones, Father, who are ill and recovering, Sheila and Terry in particular, Lord, that you would strengthen them today. In your precious love, amen. All right, well, the passage that we're going to read out loud together, sometimes I make you read them and sometimes I don't, but today's an easy one to read, so we're going to read that together. And it's from Matthew chapter 13, and it's verses 44 to 46. Okay, here we go. God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found by a trespasser. The finder is ecstatic. What a find and proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise money and buy that field. Or God's kingdom is like a jewel merchant on the hunt for excellent pearls. Finding one that is flawless, he immediately sells everything and buys it. Now, as we look at our society, we can easily find where our price tags have been switched, where the values of God have been switched for the values of the world. Places where the American society considers super valuable where we spend way too much money on or way too much of our time on it and God says like really that's a waste and you know isn't it true in your own life that you have invested in something or in someone with this hope that it was going to bring you happiness and then it fails us and there's a big letdown and a disappointment now in our American society these are four things that I want to talk about this morning that I think are four things that we really value a lot as a people and in our society. Fame, looks, career, and love. Now, any of you ever taken one of those stress tests where they allocate certain numbers of points for life events and circumstances? And if you get a certain number, like you should, you know, get help. <laughs> right, and so the life events have a certain number. So, for example, let's just say that uh, you lose a spouse or someone near to you, that's worth a hundred points. Uh, someone in your family gets arrested and put in jail, seventy-five points. You lose your job, fifty points. You get a new job, fifty points. Get a second job, seventy-five points. Divorce, marriage, going on vacation, planning to go on vacation, having a child getting a new roommate, on and on and on. They go, right? And what psychologists have said that it's when we pass 300 points in the time of a period of one year, or a person who lives in constant uh, high level of pressure, that person has a greater chance of getting um, ridiculously sick. All right? This is what this whole thing is about. Now, among, you know, with illnesses and divorces and relational problems, celebrities have a whole other level of stressors that they experience that we peons don't experience. And so here is what film stars say are their top ten stressors. The celebrity press, 
critics, threatening letters and calls, the lack of privacy, constant monitoring of their lives, worry about career plunges, stalkers, uh, definitely not my problem, lack of security, and curious fans. And psychologists who treat celebrities say that, you know, these folks pay a big price for fame. And eventually what they see as they care for these people is that they have a high level of depression, loss of sleep, crying over nothing, misbehavior on the part of their children, paranoia, overspending, and lack of trust. Now, Jim Foles, who is a professor on media, did a a research over 100 celebrities that were from Hollywood, from uh, music, and from sports. And what he found was the celebrities have, on the average, are more likely, four out of seven, oh, sorry, four times more likely to kill themselves than normal Americans. And their uh, lifespan is cut by a lot. The average American lives 76 years. The average celebrity, 58. I'm glad I'm not a celebrity because I'm 58 this year. (laughs) So being a celebrity having fame, has enormous cost on one's life. I never thought of it, but celebrities, that's a high-risk profession. And yet, be honest, we value fame. And then let's talk about looks. In our culture, we press for pre-adolescent girls to look sexy. We are a culture that is overly obsessed with thinness. So our teenagers and our children under 10, 8, 9, 8, ask our psychiatrists in our home, in our own church. We'll tell you, yes. Ask our counselors who do therapy for children. They're already having eating disorders, bulimia and anorexia at age 8 and younger. Boys and men want to look like uh, Vin Denzel, Diesel, Dwayne Johnson, and Hugh Jackman. So they take steroids. If you read about what happens when we, our boys juice up with steroids, they're going to have a high level of problems with acne, which will make them more depressed. They have a higher level of depression, high pr- blood pressure, liver disease. But hey, small pay, right? Small price to pay when you want to look buff in a T-shirt. Now, many of our societies, ha- society has a high value for careers. Now, recently I was involved, uh, got hooked up with Facebook, and I got reconnected with some friends from high school. And this one particular friend of mine, she was a very close friend of mine, she was super smart. And she married the super smart guy from our graduating class, uh, probably the two smartest people of the whole graduating class. And uh, they decided to not have kids right away. And so for the first decade of their life, they were going to pursue um, their academic career. So after they graduated from Princeton, they both had their dream jobs. They both had their dream cars. They both had their dream houses. The problem was it ended up in two different states. And as you can tell where the story's going, eventually he left her for another woman. Because she wanted to start having kids, and he wanted his freedoms. She never remarried, and she's battling depression in deep, deep ways. Our society puts stocks onto treasure like fame and looks 
and career. And they let us down. I mean, any of us, have we ever bargained for something and we thought it was going to be there for us and it's not there? It doesn't quite have the zing we thought it would have when we first invested in it because things aren't properly marked. Okay, so let's look at love. What bad can I say about love? Well, in 21st century America, the word love is actually a substitute for the word lust. Now, when I, at age 58, see a man that's 58 hanging out with a girl that's probably 25, 30 years younger than him, I think, besides yuck, you know, I have been married for 38 years. And Randy and I still have a lot of fun. And I think, okay, what is that 38 disparity between them going to happen? I mean, after you have sex for 15, maybe 30 minutes a day, what are you going to do together for the next 23 hours and 30 seconds, minutes, right? I mean, do we value so little friendship and companionship and a history together that we're willing to switch those price tags? I mean, who wants to be with someone that you have to explain who Ronald Reagan is? Well, he was a president in the 1980s before you were born. <laughs> yeah. All right, enough of that. Let's look at the passage. Matthew 13, 14 to 46. God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found by a trespasser. The finder is ecstatic. What a fine. And proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise money and buy that field. Or God's kingdom is like a jewel merchant on the hunt for excellent pearls. Finding one that is flawless, he immediately sells everything and buys it. Now, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God in verse 44. God's kingdom is like a treasure. And again, the kingdom of God in verse 45 is like a jewel merchant on the hunt for excellent pearls. Now, the kingdom of God is central to the message and ministry of Jesus Christ. But it does not mean heaven, and it does not mean the life after death. The kingdom of God simply means God's sovereign rule, his will, his reign. So when you read the phrase in your Bibles, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, you can easily substitute these words, this phrase, the rule and reign of God, which according to Jesus has already begun to interrupt our present world. Now, the Bible teaches that the kingdom of God has already been initiated through Jesus, and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we get to then continue that interruption of this present world with God's kingdom, with his rule, with his reign, and we partner with God. When we embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the things that begins to happen is that we want to give over our plans and ideas and our agenda over to God. Because the gospel is not just fire insurance policy. So what is the kingdom? It is God's rule. It is his reign, which is broken into our world and continues to break into our world through the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Jesus is talking about God's control over us and what is going to make life really worth living. It's not my will, but your will, God. It's not my agenda, but your agenda. 
so that you can bless me and I can bless others. And all for your glory. When we do this, when we submit our life, our agenda, our goals to God, then life really starts getting exciting. So what is the kingdom? Now, in both stories about the kingdom, um, both stories compare the kingdom of God to something of great value. Verse 44, the kingdom is compared to a treasure. Verse 46, the kingdom is compared to a pearl of great price. And in both cases, this very valuable thing is not obvious to everybody around them. For one, he had to dig it up. And the other one, he had to hunt it out and search it. And a lot of people just passed right by and never even noticed it. In both cases, faith and action are required for the man to obtain these treasures. You know, it wasn't enough for him to have found it. He actually had to risk a lot and believe in something in order to get the treasure. And in both cases, the treasure cost everything. Verse 44. The finer is ecstatic. What a find. And proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise money and buy that field. And in verse 46, finding one that is flawless, he immediately sells everything and he buys it. You know, these men, both of them, had to sell everything, commit everything, take this huge risk in order to get this treasure. And in both cases, I find absolutely no hint of reluctancy. There's no sense of, I'm really sacrificing a lot here. Verse 44, the finer is ecstatic. What a fine. In other versions, the word ecstatic is literally translated in his great joy. So in his great joy, he sells everything to get this. Not half-heartedly. Not reluctantly. There's no sense of obligation or duty here. It's a passion. The only significant change or differences I see between the stories is how these people find the kingdom. Verse 44, the man appears to have just stumbled upon the treasure. God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found. You know, in the first century, the time that Jesus was telling this story, there were no Wells Fargo or Chase banks. Okay? There, there were no safe. There was no um, security boxes. If the people wanted to keep safe their treasures, they would bury it in some field somewhere. And I would imagine that occasionally some of the people died without telling their loved one that they had buried the treasure somewhere. And I think that might have been the case here in this story. God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found. And here he is. What is this? It feels weird, hard. I don't think it's a rock. And he keeps digging until he finds it. Now the other story is a merchant and he's seeking. Verse 45. Or God's kingdom is like a jewel merchant on the hunt. Now, he's looking for a particular pearl. Maybe he's heard a story about it. There's been legends about this crazy pearl. And so you see this man going from town to town, 
looking through bags and bags of jewels and pearls until he finds it. And he recognizes this is it. He's gone through a lot of hunting to know this is the real deal. You know, sometimes we accidentally bump into something of value. I've heard some of your stories. You go to a party and you meet your future husband, right? And you're not really looking for it. You know, a headhunter calls you and says, hey, we heard about you. And you weren't even looking for a new job. But sometimes we have to be very uh, methodical, very intentional about finding this valuable treasure. You know, so let's see what that would look like. I'm sorry, a little distracted. That was my grandson. I love him very much. Well, whatever the case is, there isn't this sense of one way fits all ways to meet Christ and to see how valuable Jesus Christ is. But the final outcome is, is that there's this awakening of something very marvelous that is worth giving my life to. In both cases. You know, Paul, in the Bible, I think accidentally met Jesus. He's going about ready to uh, get the Christians, persecuting them, put them in jail and have them killed, and bam, he runs into Jesus, right? And, you know, last week, Randy was talking about the woman at the well. And uh, she intentionally goes when it's the hottest time of the day to fill her jars with water because she's hoping she doesn't bump into anybody, and bam, she runs into Jesus, right? But sometimes it's very intentional. And some of you, it may sound like this. You know, when I was a kid, I just knew that I knew that I knew that there was a God, or there was something more important, more significant that I could give my life to. And you meet Jesus, and it's like, oh, yes. I mean, you know. Some of you have been searching. You've gone, maybe some of you went through doing New Age or Eastern religions, and you're just searching. Like the merchant, the searching and hunting for this pearl. But it doesn't really matter if it's intentional or accidental. When we find this treasure, we're overcome with joy, ecstatic. Now today, that might look like a person who bumps into a Christian at work. Or they hire somebody new, and they're right next to them, and they're a Christian. Oh, well, no big deal. Hope we get along. And they're not really all that interested in Jesus. But you know how the story goes, this co-worker, this uh, classmate just says come on come on come with me we're doing this thing at church operation christmas child you like kids come on let's go shopping and let's fill it up with fun stuff you know or let's go to community group you know we're doing this topic that's kind of cool you might want to come and you drag them to church right and they're only doing you a favor by showing up but suddenly they just like start crying and i don't know why they're crying And their body starts doing weird things, and they're going, what is going on? I'm not even into this stuff. I am not a church person, right? And so sometimes it's quite accidental. But sometimes it's very purposeful in how we're intentionally seeking the truth. But either way, don't despair. Keep praying for your friends, your coworkers. Okay, now in both stories, there's an awareness that the treasure is not obvious to everyone else. Now, some of you have experienced this. If you've gone to your 10- or 20-year high school reunion, mine would have been 40 this year. Wow. That was a shock to my adrenal glands. 
Anyway, so you go to your high school reunion 10 or 20 years, and you happen to be one of those people that decide to get off of the career track, right? Because you want to spend more time with your kids, you want to be there meaningfully. And so you go, and they're talking about their wonderful businesses and their amazing practice and their fantastic vacation. They say, so what are you doing? And you're like, eh. Well, I'm one of those that decided not to work 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week so I could have, be a little bit more available for my kids. Oh. Or, you know, I was one of those that decided that, you know, I wanted to work less hours so I could volunteer to the things that really mattered to God. Yeah. Oh, okay. And they turn their back on you and walk away to, to go talk to somebody a little bit more interesting. You know, you guys, in reality, when we go out, after the treasure, not everybody's going to be in agreement or high-fiving us. That was a great idea. Okay, this is definitely my personal story. Uh, when I was 18, I became a Christian, radically, like, day and night. Whew. And I remember I had scholarships and grants so I could go to USC, and I was a pre-med. I'm doing this thing. I'm going to do it. And my dad and mom, when they heard that I wanted to go a different path, I remember my dad being very upset. Are you kidding me? You're willing to let go of this amazing career path for what? To traverse to who knows where and convert people that don't even want to be converted. Seriously, this is a waste of your life. That's the way it is. When you experience this treasure and you know, I can't do anything else. I, I just wanted to study the Bible. I wanted to study Greek so I could be a missionary. And that doesn't sound really that exciting to a father who's very driven that his daughter succeed in life. So let me ask you a question. Are the decisions that you're making for your life look normal to the people around you? Has anybody ever shook their head in puzzlement about some of the decisions you're making? Like that makes no sense. Yeah, she's religious. Yeah, she goes to church. But other than that, she's like totally normal. That's not nothing to be proud about. If no one's ever shook their head and said, you're nuts then we need to ask ourselves, am I totally submitted my life over to Jesus? Why do you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and pray for people? Night after night after night. Are you crazy? Why are you using your vacation time to go on a mission trip? Seriously? Why do you give 10% to that church? I mean, it's so puny. Don't you have better things to do with your money? Well, yeah. You don't say that. You might think that. Don't say that. No. I mean, we sh- our friends, our coworkers should be saying, I don't get this person. You know, maybe for you it's staying in a bad marriage and having to work hard because you made this vow, this commitment with God, and you want to follow through. Or maybe for you it's refraining from sex before marriage because you value what God values. What's with this chastity thing anyway? We know when your body and your friends are telling you, go for it, it takes a lot of faith to say no. Because I have this treasure that's hidden inside of me. 
that I love more than my hormones, than peer pressure. Jesus tells us these two stories. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Because you're going to get me. Ultimately, we experience intimacy when we make these hard calls. And a relationship with Jesus is deeper than anything we thought was possible. Well, what does the treasure cost? Jesus tells us in verse 44. The finder is ecstatic. What a find. And proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise money and buy the field. Verse 46. Finding one that is flawless, he immediately sells everything and buys it. Benjamin, I need you to light, put the stage lights a little bit. I'm just seeing spots all over my, reading the scriptures like, oh. I guess I should stop looking at them. That would help. Woo. Okay. Oh. Ta-da. All right. That'll help. Ooh, that's a lot better. Sorry. Now, you may not be a great Bible student, and you may not know a whole bunch about God or what he wants for your life, but that which you do know, do. That which you know is right, obey and god will bless you and give you more and more of himself to you now there are people that just want a little bit of god and they don't they don't get this idea of like god's will being this treasure in my life that i want to fulfill right they just don't get that but they have enough of god or enough understanding where they might even say hey i'm a christian And their life is miserable because they can't hate people anymore like they used to without feeling guilty. It's not easy to get revenge. It's getting harder for them to lie. And cheating on the test doesn't quite have the same okayness as it used to. And there's a lot of things that they used to do that was okay. And now they're miserable because they're constantly thinking, I wonder what God thinks about this. And yet that very person cannot wholeheartedly pray because they're holding back and they know they're holding back from God in some way. And it's a miserable dichotomy in which to live. Halfway in, halfway out. It's kind of like people who make a half-hearted commitment to, ha- to marriage or they cohabitate. And they think, well, you know, I hope it works, but if it doesn't, no big deal because there's always a way out. When we have in our marriage commitment or covenant this sense there's always a way out, that we can't ever enter into the depth of unconditional love because it's in the midst of unconditional love where I'm giving it and you're not giving it back that we can experience the depth of God's empowering presence and love for us. Oh, we're doing good. So to sell everything we own may mean laying down our plans for our future, like where we want to work and where we're going to retire and, you know, how much money we're going to have back later on in those last few years. It definitely may mean changing our career plans, our academic academic plans. If you're approaching retirement age, it may mean definitely giving up your retirement plans to God. What do you want, God? 
What is it going to look like? And, you know, I really don't think that obtaining this treasure is a one-lifetime decision. I think it's one that we have to face over and over and over. I did not fulfill it at age 18 when I decided to change my career path. I didn't suddenly complete it when I decided God wants me to stay home and be a stay-at-home mom. And I wasn't done at age 38 when the Lord called us to come to San Antonio and plant this church. It is a series of opportunities for us to have to grapple with that treasure. And am I going to say yes to it? Am I going to say yes to God's will, to his reign, to his plan for my life? You know, we're soon approaching Christmas. And, you know, Randy and I, we could spend a couple hundred dollars on each other. Be nice. Or we could say, you know what, let's do... 10, 20, 30 boxes this year for Operation Christmas Child. Well, let's bless 30 kids so that they might meet this treasure. I don't know, something to think about. I hadn't told them yet about this idea. <laughs> I'm hoping he says yes. You know, it takes $7 per box. I mean, just, you have to, you know, you fill the box, which is a good idea, but then you have to put $7 in there. You know that? That's to help for the shipping. So it's a lot of money. 30 times 7 is $210, right? And then you've got to fill the boxes. That's the fun part. Okay, anyway, do what you need to do. But anyway, Jesus says, I am that treasure. And you will be ecstatic, full of joy, when you pursue me. And I will give you over and over opportunities for you to say yes to me and to have a greater depth of who I am. Isn't that sweet? I think that's a really good Christmas thought, to say yes to Jesus. Okay, that's it. I'd be done. All right, so sometimes I do this, and I want to do this today. I want to hear what's going in your head from today's talk. Okay. Memo, Nigel.
good to be still. You know, just to rush off. I don't know if you've heard a, a teaching from God's Word. And to let us sink in. Just it's a holy time. If any of you are feeling condemned, that's not from the Holy Spirit. He does not condemn. The evil one does. So if that's coming that way to you, you know to reject those thoughts. The Holy Spirit comes with conviction and a sense that you know that you know this is right. And I haven't wholeheartedly given over to you. And I'm sorry, Papa. And that's the invitation today. And for those of you who feel like, I'm good. Then I can assure you that you'll be given another opportunity. Where you have to ask, do I want 
you to rule? Do I want you to control my life? And then you can face it then. All right. We'll close this time in prayer. Thank you for sharing. It's always good to hear what the Spirit is doing in your hearts. And so I'm thankful when I can talk less so you guys can share and we could be family. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this holy space. And we thank you for the invitation to um, say yes to you. And Father, for those who were feeling like, wow, this is me. It's time. Lord, just let them experience your love more than fear, more than disqualifiers. May they experience your love because it's going to be good. It's going to be worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, well, if you would like to have some prayer for healing or for trouble in your life or just want some support, there will be some folks who will come and pray and be ready to minister to you. Just please come forward, get prayed. They're nice people. They're very caring. And if you would like to say, you know, I want to be one of those people that goes up there and pray. I don't know what told you you couldn't. You come on up and partner with somebody else's here. Okay? So you can feel like you're moving in that area. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.